In today's episode of the podcast, I spoke with Giles. And at the very beginning of the podcast, I go through a list of the things that Giles has done. And it's quite astounding just how many things Giles has done, continues to do. And it's one of the great things about doing this podcast. People who have an enthusiasm for life. And it's very addictive. Absolutely great. I love talking to him. And thankfully, I'm going to be able to do another podcast with him soon. I hope you enjoy the episode. Good morning, Giles. Welcome to the David Watson podcast. How are you? Um, very well, thank you, David. Uh, very, I feel very honoured to be with you. So no, very, very kind of you to invite me. The, the honour and pleasure is definitely mine. And <laughs> it was interesting because uh, when you sent me the notes on your email, and I opened them up and I was having a look. And I've, I've literally, I've read through everything and I'm just like, okay, you're the, probably the genuinely the first guest. I'm like, I don't even know where to start. And this is a quick scan for everybody listening. Of We have Blue Chairs, Restart, Spreading the Word of Shrewsbury, Cricket, uh, Barely Grilled, Housemaster, Final Bear, Theology and Religion, You've raised uh, over £80,000 for one particular charity. And seriously, people, the list actually did go on. And these were just like, if I was going to take the main bullet points, because there's the TV show, there's Radio 1, Radio 4, uh, there's the Africa Project, it just like, it goes on. And then there was, you know, just being a school teacher and then the boarding master. And I'm just like, wow, for a list of bullet points. <laughs> and then on your CV, and you mention your wife and the things that she does. And I was just like... I just like, I really don't do enough in my life. I feel like a failure. Well, I don't know. Honestly, the, 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 proudest, the proudest element of my whole life, I think, is the fact that I'm married to Sooty's agent. So uh, <laughs> that, that is the thing that keeps me going in the morning, the fact that my wife is connected with Sooty. And every now and again, the hand that operates Sooty comes to see us <laughs> with, with, the, with, the, with the rest of his body. And, and this uh, is it. Yeah, it's fantastic. We went to see them in in um, we've seen. I've, well, I have to say, I've probably seen more sooty shows than most people my age, um, and uh, including the last time we saw him was at Wolverhampton pantomime, probably just before COVID started. And uh, it, when you know someone in the pantomime, it just makes the whole thing a bit more kind of I don't know, exciting. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's actually you know for people of our generation, that's a big sooty's a big deal. Well, I know, and, and what I'm really excited about is that. Uh, um, apparently, there's, there's there's talk of Sooty the movie. And, oh wow! Um, yeah, and I've spoken to Richard, who, who the, well, I, we'll call him the Hand of Sooty, and uh, and he, he he has agreed that uh, that we are all going to get walk-on parts in the movie. So I'm I'm going to become a um, a movie star. That's my latest uh, <clears throat> to add to the continuing resume. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so having having already felt that I I hadn't quite hit the bar and was slightly inadequate. You've now just chucked in another thing. It's like, I haven't done a walk well, on part either. That's basically, we don't know whether the movie will happen, but if it does, if the agent gets her, her act together and it all, all comes to fruition, then, um, then you never know. <laughs> because I mean, cause when, when you and I were children growing up, Sooty was probably the, the biggest TV show, certainly for a period yeah. of time. In the 70s and 80s, Sooty, you know, Sooty Sweep, and it was huge. Yeah, yeah well, yeah, I agree. I, 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 funny enough, um, it's one of those things where I wouldn't rush in to watch it. I don't think I was ever a massive fan, if I, but if I'm honest. But, but I was, back, yeah, definitely. Yeah, but but looking back, at it, I I always enjoy, I did enjoy it when it was on, and, and actually watching it with my kids is hilarious. And they they're now ten and twelve, so they're getting a little bit beyond it. But they still it's still they still like the slapstick element of it and the sort of um, yeah bad behaviour of is it I can't remember which one. It's sweep who normally behaves badly. Yeah, yeah, both do. But, um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Sweep is always the kind of the the antagonizer, isn't it? Yeah, he yeah, was always yeah. kind of playing up. So, yeah. I think a good place something I'd like to ask you about first is cricket. Yeah. So, what, well, what is what is your cricket background and how? My cricket background, weirdly, um, yeah. I, well, cricket and I've always I've always loved cricket. I've funny I. Yeah, I've got a nice little story about cricket in the sense that my my neither of my parents were particularly sporty, and um, and I think it came to a bit of a shock to them when suddenly I, they sent me off 
So my dad was a, a, um, a housemaster at a school called Lansing College in Sussex, and um, and they sent me off. They packed me off to a boarding school in um, in Hove called Moden. Um, and um, when I was about eight, in fact, I went on my eighth birthday, and wow. and I kind of I don't think I ever quite understood why I had to go and board actually um, at eight. And uh, it's I think less people go and board now. Um, I think, I, well, I happen to know because I have I have I help with admissions at a, a prep school, and I know it's harder to get people to to board at eight than it yeah. probably was thirty years ago. It seems to be uh, not quite so of, uh, prevalent, and and um, I think my parents' thought was I think a they came from that sort of background, and b I think dad thought that actually he was so busy, him um, and my mum were so busy they they really thought they were going to struggle. Um, in a sense, to give me the attention I required, so they thought maybe let's um, let's see him on Sundays. Yeah, uh, it sounds it sounds a bit harsh, but it, it just, I think that's I, I don't think it was done. I, I never felt I'd been sent there because they didn't love me or anything like that. I was I always knew that they thought they were doing the best thing. And actually, um, the headmaster of this prep school was a lovely guy called Chris Snell, and he he um, he was an absolute um, cricket nut. Uh, he was also a football nut and a rugby nut, so he was just a sportsman through and through. And um, I never really quite got rugby. I could never quite work out why you had to sort of dive on a ball and people kick you and, you know, and then someone, some glory boy scored in the corner on the wing, you know, so because I was put in the scrum. And I, so I never enjoyed that. I'm, I'm too much a member of the Self-Preservation Society. But <laughs> somehow, somehow cricket, cricket and football were the things I really liked. And um, and we were, the prep school I was at was just about, a, you know, a half a mile from the Goldstone ground, which is, my favourite football team, which is the mighty Brighton Hove Albion, and you could hear the roar. This is going back to 1979, um, and well, just actually, I was at prep school before then, so sort of, yeah, it would have been 75, 76, and just before they came, they came, they, go, they they gained their first pr um, promotion to the then first division. And oh, I remember the headmaster coming in one night and just saying, "That's seven nil to Brighton," and we'd been hearing the roars, and none of us could sleep because we were hearing the roars from the. From the ground, and uh, but I love the fact that he used to come and tell us the score. Just you know, most headmasters would be saying, go, "Let's go to sleep." You know, he was like, "Thought you know, Jarsey was uh, seven nil." Um, so, um, so that's I guess I, I began to have this sort of love affair with sport and uh, and cricket. Um, I then I, I then developed a friendship with a a, a, a guy um, who he uh, his father sort of helped run the, the junior section of um, the cricket club at Cookfield, which is a mid-Sussex um, uh, club, which is actually, I think it's grown in eminence now. It's quite a big club. But um, in those days, it was more, more or less a sort of village club. And uh, But I used to just love going over there and playing and meeting new friends and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I do remember my dad and my mum, of course, having no clue about cricket. Um, I said, you know, the headmaster said, Charles will need a new cricket bat. And my father said, okay, yes, sir. So he went off and he bought, he bought basically a cricket set from Woolworths. There's a name. <laughs> and, good, uh, old wool, good old Woolies. And, you know, and exactly. I went back to school with this cricket bat and everyone else had their gun and more, their, their grey nickels, their slazengers, their SSs, or whatever they were. And, um, and I had a clipper. And the clipper bat, you know, was... Um, <laughs> no one had ever heard of it. <laughs> and I was, Dad had lovingly oiled it because he'd heard that you have to oil your bat. So we'd oiled this bat. I get there, and a friend of mine who knew more about cricket than I did because he had parents who cared about cricket, let's say that. And uh, he, he just said, Giles, there's no springs. There's no springs in your bat. And I was like, yeah, well, and what, what do we need springs for? And I didn't really understand that cricket bats have springs in their handles to yeah. you know, whip. So anyway, I went out to bat in my first practice game on the in the senior team. And, um, I it, the bat lasted two balls before it just the handle came off and uh, and I, I said I was very upset of course because you know my dad had bought me this bat it was my first bat and I he'd just, oiled it yeah and I just I just oh no I've broken dad's bat and and um, the headmaster said to me um Chris said uh, yeah I think Charles I think we need to have a chat with dad about cricket bats so um, <laughs> he then he then told my dad that um, um that I should go to the local sports shop with him and so we went to the local sports shop and um uh, and uh, he then dad bought me a bat to grow into so um i had this massive <laughs> bat that was the cheapest bat my dad could find and i didn't and, and um you know 
I, I could hardly lift the thing. So the only way I scored any runs was if it managed to hit an edge and go through the slips for four. Um, but um, but but it didn't it didn't stop me. I mean, we had a very successful prep school team actually. We were unbeaten, um, and um, we had a very good side. And uh, I was just a bit part in it, but I, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, so then I, 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 my cricket sort of carried on. And then I, I ultimately I went to Durham University. And um, I actually, football became my main sport there. I played in goal. And and, um, and after two terms playing football, I just thought I can't, you know, I, I won't be at the university next year if I don't, if I start playing cricket as well, because I just hadn't done much work. And uh, um, so I didn't play cricket seriously. I played for the college, but um, but there were some very good cricketers around at the university at the time. And, and uh, one of them was a very good friend of mine and he broke his finger playing for, um, against the MCC, I think for Durham. And uh, he came and knocked on my door one afternoon and said, Charles, I've just broken my finger. Can you come and twelfth us for us? Can you subfield for us? So um, I went and subfielded and, and I did feel well out of my depth. And every time the ball came to me, you know, I sort of fumbled it and he took two and there were lots of people with their hands on their hips. <laughs> Uh, and I went back into the classroom, and, and 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 then I ended up being twelfthers for the next three or four matches and scoring for them. And uh, just to give you a clue, I don't know if you follow cricket, David, but um, in that bit. team there was a chap called Nasser Hussain, um, yes, who you've heard of, later so, captain yeah, England. Absolutely, there was a guy called Martin Spate um, who played for Durham and Sussex. There was a guy called um, John Stevenson. Um, who played for Essex in England? So there were a lot of seriously good cricketers. Tim O'Gorman was my friend who who was um, who played for Derbyshire. So it was a, it was very exciting actually. And um, but I've but, but apart from that, I just I've just always loved the game. I just think it's a great game to play. And, and funny enough, after I left university, I, whilst I didn't, I never really played football again. I did play cricket um, for various clubs, and and I just found the social side of it helpful. You know, you, you get to know lots of people because when you're spending a day with someone, you can't really not get to know people well you know and uh, you know football match you can turn up play the game have a shower go home again and you know it depends obviously what type of club it is but you don't always get to know people I think as well as you do playing cricket and uh, I just think also I think cricket you know you can't be angry all day <laughs> you know no. you can be angry you can be angry in a football match for most of the half or whatever maybe the whole game but but in cricket you can't be angry the whole time because actually otherwise it, you don't play very well and actually everyone else gets fed up with you so um, I, I think it's a really, really brilliant game in terms of, sort of mindfulness and, and yeah. all the rest of it. I think it has so much going for it, and I, I just hope that it. Um, I, I, well, I, I feel ter- I feel terribly sad that um, a lot of state schools now have, have you know they've had their pitches removed yeah. because it costs it costs money to look after them, and so the only way a lot of kids now play cricket is through local clubs, um, and the, and that's why there are many more private schoolboys um, playing at the top Indeed. level because because actually the state school kids are not getting the same opportunities. Um, so there we go. And it's interesting, isn't it? cricket, if I'm correct, is one of the only sports that has a lunch break included. Well, absolutely. And the only cricket I play these days is for a team called the Shropshire Gentlemen and, or the Gentlemen of Shropshire, Shropshire Gents. And, uh, uh, you know, and I, yeah, absolutely. We, the, the, the reason we play is for a very good lunch with maybe a couple yeah. of glasses of port. Yeah. And, and then a very good tea. Uh, with maybe another couple of glasses of port, and um, you know, and it's, it, it's, and it, it's it's really turning into a social event with some sport in it. Well, absolutely, and uh, you know, I mean, I we played a game the other day, and it, we play these declaration games, and you've got some good players. I mean, there, there was a chap who made seventy-seven not out for us the other day. He was only fifteen. Um, listen out for this name, Jack Home. He's just got into the Bunbury team, and um, and he will play, I think, county cricket. Possibly, he'll maybe go higher. He played so maturely. And it's a joy to play with someone like that, you know, and see a young man, you know, on his on the start of his career. So, you know, the stand is quite good, but at the same time, we play a, an old-fashioned type of game, a declaration game. So you can manage the game, you can get everybody into the game, and yes, we uh, both sides want to win, but you want to win having got everybody in the game and had a good time. And, and the particular game I played the other day was absolutely perfect. In in um, I think the the team we were playing scored 198. And we got 192, and uh, you know, so we lost by six runs. But everybody got in. Everyone had a bat, you know, on both sides. Most people had a bowl. And if it hadn't been for yours truly coming in at number eleven and getting out third ball with six to win, we might have even won. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, I definitely think cricket is a, a, a really great game, and and um, 
It is also, in terms of watching it, in terms of going to a test match, people say to me, oh, test match cricket won't survive. I think it will survive because a lot of people go to crest, to cricket. A lot of young men, I think, go dress up as in funny things and yeah. drink a lot of beer. And actually, we've all discovered, I think, all men have discovered that if you say to your wife, um, I'm going to go down the pub, love, with my mates, uh, and we're going to leave about 10.30, I'll be back about 10. Um, most wives will say, well, hang on, what about the kids? And is this really a good way of spending your Saturday or whatever it might be? If you say, I've got tickets for Lords. Um, Indeed. Darling. Um, or I've got tickets for the test at Edgbaston. Somehow it legitimises sitting in the sun, drinking beer um, and having a laugh with your mates for a whole day. It does. So uh, I think cricket has been the saviour for mankind. And I mean mankind in a sense. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. <laughs> no, I agree completely. I agree. Sporting <laughs> events... The thing about all sporting events is when handled correctly, it legitimises going out and just having a few beers with the boys. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and, and that is, because as soon as you said that, I used to work uh, for a car dealership many, many years ago. And one of the salesmen was a keen cricket fan. And every year always got uh, tickets to Lords. And it, you know, and he, yeah. again, you know, and he would turn up suited and booted all dressed appropriately and i'm pretty sure you used to get quite drunk well uh, honestly in 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 my lifetime my one, one of my trips to lords on a beautiful day with no clouds in the sky uh, nasa getting 150 against um india and tendulkar coming out to bat at the end of the day i think is still my idea of, of perfection Should, does, <clears throat> i have to ask because i know what i'm like yeah. did you sort of say to people in the crowd i used to play with nasa um, I don't think I did. I think I was with I was with a group of people um, who, do you know, I can't remember. I, I'm, I'm sure I would have mentioned it. You know, I'm I, sure I, I would have definitely, definitely but mentioned it. I think I think my the friend who I was with that day, he's actually also an ex Durham student, but he was a couple of years above me. So I don't think he would have known NASA, but he would have known probably other other cricketers of note um, yeah. who came from the 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 academy the cricket academy that is Durham University and so and um, yeah I'm sure I would have mentioned it but and it, do you know what there's one other little story which relates to this which was um, about 15 years after I left university I got an invitation to go to um, Robin Martin Jenkins's um, sort of do you know when they get a benefit so his benefit yeah. to look and it was also a Durham University it was it was he was also a Durham University young man and, and um, he was course his father was uh, Christopher Martin Jenkins who was the sort of um, telegraph writer and uh, well-known sort of cricket uh, expert if you like and and um, but Robin was playing, for, was playing for Sussex at the time and I got this invitation to go to his um, benefit do at Lords and it was coupled in with a Durham University sort of celebration and I thought everybody from Durham University must have been invited to this you know because I but then I asked around and I realized that um, not everyone had been invited. So I, I phoned up my friend Tim O'Gorman, who was, I knew would definitely have been invited, and he, he, of course, he had been. So I said, we arranged to go together. And when I got there, I did feel a bit of a charlatan because I realized <laughs> everybody else there had, had played for Durham University cricket, you know, first team. I was, I reckon I was the only person there who, who, who managed to sneak in because I must have been on their list as, you know, 12th man and scorer about three or four times, which is, and it was all down to Tim asking me to come and field when he broke his finger. So I managed to get to this too. And I, I had the most brilliant evening. Um, <laughs> not, not only was I on the hallowed turf of Lords in, in the long room, looking at all the paintings and stuff. I remember, I remember and this, I'm just, sorry to-, to, to No, I'm to, loving this. But, but, um, but I, I, stand, I found myself talking to Tim Rice. I don't know why Tim was there, but Tim Rice was there. I was talking to Tim Rice, looking out over Lords, which was floodlit with a glass of nice wine in one hand and a, you know, a nibble in the other. And I was just thinking, he was sort of talking about something. I don't think I was really listening because I was just thinking, oh my God, yeah. I'm talking to Tim Rice in the long run. <laughs> and Tim Rice is stood there thinking, I'm playing with a guy who's a really good cricketer. He must have a great well, cricket heritage. Yeah, I don't know about that. Funny enough, Tim and I do know each other vaguely because my dad taught him Latin. So that was the, ah. that's the one tiny connection. So that, that was, of course, the way I had the conversation and I got into the conversation. But it was... um. But it was nice to see him and he, he's a delightful guy but it was just but it also standing there in that particular evening with surrounded by people who all loved cricket it was just um wonderful yeah wonderful 
That's good. That's good. And I just want to go back because it keeps popping into my head because when you were talking about your dad buying you a bat that you could grow into, I had this because for those people that are familiar with cricket, they'll know that you, you bend down at the crease to line up for your bat. <laughs> and I just had this image of a boy who stood upright with a bat out <laughs> at a diagonal angle, <laughs> swiping at anything that come his way. <laughs> Honestly, I was I could I could almost hide behind the bat. It was that big. I was, like, <laughs> I was a very thin, small boy, and it was like uh, honestly, it was like a guard. I was like hiding behind. People couldn't see me when I went to bat. There's a bat. <laughs> there's no batsman, but there's a bat out there. But I also imagine <laughs> if you when you did connect with the ball, it went some. Uh, yeah, yeah, if yeah, it did. I mean, um, yeah, third third man often couldn't get to the ball. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I just love that. I love that. I love that. It's, um, so what what is spreading the word of Shrewsbury? Okay, so spreading the word of Shrewsbury is uh, or Shrewsbury um, is um, I work in admissions now. So I've I I'm one of those people um, who has only ever I think I've only ever managed to um, uh, achieve success in one job interview and that was uh, when I started here at Shrewsbury School in 1989 or whatever it was and so um, so but my job has I, the one nice thing about working in a school is that the um, your job can evolve and, and can change and uh, so I I was after about so eight or nine years what happens at boarding schools public schools if whatever you want to call them and for those of you who who, ha who don't know about these sort of schools well they basically use and abuse the uh, the younger teachers um when they when you so you, a young teacher will be doing everything because um you're young and you're enthusiastic and you want to and you want to go up the tree i guess you want to climb the ladder yeah you don't know any so, better I, yeah so it's just saturday will you uh, after you've coached the under 16s will you come and um supervise this house dance so you kind of find that your day on a Saturday maybe lasts goes from sort of nine o'clock in the morning till maybe eleven o'clock at night, and then on a Sunday, would you take this trip? We want to take a boarding trip out to see a film or, or whatever it might be. So you're busy again, and um, so it, and but the young the young teachers, you know, I think well you have to. I, I know you, I, maybe you have to want to do it. I think you do have to want to do it. You know, the young teacher who doesn't want to get involved, well, probably won't survive very long at that school. I think you you need to sort of buy into the fact that you're. You're basically buying into a way of life. Yeah. You're being employed. You're being employed to look after kids, but it's it's like it's like a holiday camp with with work thrown in. So you, and I, I think that's for the teachers as well. You have to do a bit of academic stuff. You have to you know, plan the odd lesson and deliver the odd lesson, and and um, but then the, the fun stuff I always thought was coaching cricket, coaching football, uh, directing a play, um, you know, watching them do a concert or something. You know. It, it's all that sort of stuff and uh it's very it's a very fulfilling life and the other good thing about it is by working weekends and we teach saturday mornings um it gives you longer breaks in the holidays so although you're you're fairly full-on in the term time um you actually end up you know so for instance i've already had two weeks holiday yeah and uh and it's it's great you know and, and i love that and uh you know the three three reasons for being a teacher of course are june july and august <laughs> and, uh, and and so um yeah so so i'm now i was a house master which means basically being in charge of i, I had a big house i had the biggest house so 85 boys um and you know you people say oh how do you how the hell do you cope with that well you you can't run a house that size um i think unless you have the support of the kids on your uh, yeah and you know one or two of them are going to get over with murder and, and you have a, i used to say i had a very long lead and occasionally yeah. i'd I'd pull the kids back in on it very occasionally. Um, I think they enjoyed a, a, a good degree of um, freedom, but I think that's not a bad thing. I think kids have to learn, um, you know, uh, and find their own way a little bit. And actually, if you're constantly telling them they can't do this, they can't do that, can't do that, then actually they're not, they're not actually going to use their creativity no. in the right way. And yeah, they will make mistakes because teenagers are teenagers and the, the brain doesn't actually fully mature till about 25 does it so I, I also i hate it when people go oh he's oh you've got that they've got it so wrong they've got it so wrong you know they've not got it wrong they are just learning um they are learning that actually drinking too much beer gets you caught yeah. <laughs> or drinking too much vodka gets you caught and makes you sick and hopefully 
uh, they won't do it again for, or, or they maybe they will, but maybe they won't get caught next time because they won't have actually drunk the entire bottle, but have worked, worked out that actually you can have a nice drink. Because that's without, actually um, you know, one of the first life lessons you you learn that if you if you get had a drink too much and you can't go to work the next day, your boss isn't yeah. an idiot and he's going to tell yeah. you straight. So one of the things yeah. you have to learn is when you can and can't drink. Absolutely. I mean, I'm not saying it's all about drink, but it's just, I mean, being a housemaster, you know, all sorts of things happen. So, yeah. I mean, you touched on the blue chairs. So when I was a housemaster, we had a, um, <clears throat> we had a Russian boy, a lovely kid called Artem. And after a house dance one, one morning, he, um, it was a Sunday morning and I went in to see Matron. We, we, used to, we used to check everything was okay in the mornings. And she had Artem with her and he was covered in bruises. And obviously I made the joke of, I said, goodness me, Artem, she, she was a rough, uh, rough sort, wasn't she? And uh, <laughs> after the house dance, yeah. and um, and we, we joked about it. But, but as soon as he left, Major and I had a quick chat because you could tell this was not usual. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, we got the doctor in. It was a Sunday, but we, we rang the school, had an affiliation to one of the medical centres. So we got the doctor in and he said, yeah, this is not good. Um, and... Uh, it turned out he had leukemia so he but he started the treatment monday morning and um you know his father dimitri lovely guy uh he sort of was saying to me mr bull because um, obviously he was not in the uk so he's like mr bull um do you think we should uh fly autumn to america and uh, and i said look no because i said once you know you go to america to find a clinic by the time you've found it that might be another a week, you know, six, seven days, uh, I would start tomorrow <coughs> at um, Shrewsbury Hospital if I was you. So um, so that's what he did. And then, of course, uh, Dimitri couldn't understand. He said, how much does this treatment play? play? And I said, no, it's, it's free, National Health, because he's a yeah. member of our, he's, he's living <coughs> here, residing in the UK. And so, <coughs> um, and I, I remember being very proud, actually, of, of Britain. Weirdly, yeah. through the whole experience, very proud that we were treating this boy. Very proud that he was being treated so well. Um, very proud that we could help, if you like. And and also, I felt we were, I was showing this family, and this is how you can do things. And of course, the Russians. I don't know if I can speak for Russia like that, but but certainly Dmitri suggested to me that you know the idea of charity and the idea of this sort of um, generosity was not necessarily universally. You know, something we would hold dear to us, if you like, wasn't necessarily seen as as a universal sort of right in somewhere like Russia. So he was. I mean, he he he. I think he suddenly woke up to what this country was all about, really. And um, he donated. I mean, I started. Then what happened was, um, obviously, the kids. You know, his friends wanted to try and help. And it, and something like leukemia or cancer is so um, debilitating because you, you, as a friend, what can you do? You can't. You can't help. You know, if someone's I don't know broken their leg you can go around and make them food and and look after them to a degree but if someone's got leukemia you know you you feel powerless you can't really make them better that's going to be down to the doctors and all the rest of it so um so the kids his his, his friends just wanted to do something so we we did a couple of things we had a chapel service and uh um we came up with the idea that actually at a given moment um we would all send artem a, a text on his phone so this is like the, you know, the modern way isn't it so um, yeah so we all sent artem a text so he he suddenly had sort of 150 texts came his way in about three seconds you know and, and he and he said to me oh, mr bell don't ever do that again <laughs> <laughs> i could tell i could tell he loved it you know he loved it the fact that everyone just said things like you know we're thinking of you and yeah. i think that was really powerful actually and um <clears throat> the other thing that um that happened was um Around that time, a, a colleague sent an email round to all staff, and it, he it said, um, "I've lost two blue chairs from my classroom. They have been taken. I need them. Please return them." And it was a little bit brusque, you know, a little bit brusque. And uh, and I could tell that whoever had sent the email was a little bit annoyed. You know, it was like, <laughs> and I, I know why. It's very irritating when you turn up your classroom, you find there are two chairs missing and two kids standing there. About, <laughs> <laughs> And of course, it takes five minutes to settle a lesson down while you go and find them two more chairs. So I could see where he was coming from. But even so, it was quite funny getting this email. Yeah. So I, I safe I, return I of why. two blue chairs. Well, exactly. Then I got, I got a bit creative and and um, I took two blue chairs uh, down and I put them in the road and I took a photograph of them and I put them in our garden and took a photograph of them there. And I sent an email around saying I've seen these blue chairs. Um, they last seen going downtown. 
has anyone else seen them? And um, so then, of course, those people sort of thought this was quite amusing and got into the spirit of things. It was quite near half term. I think we were all in need of a sort of a, a rest, if you like, or a, or, a, or a distraction. So I had pictures sent to me of the blue chairs on the moon, all sorts of stuff, you know. And can I, I just sorry? Can I just ask? Did the teacher receive this well? Yes, he would have received this as well. Yeah. So no, no, did he, he? Did he take it in good spirit? He did take it in good spirit. Fantastic. I mean, to be fair to him. Um, and uh, Marcus, if you're ever listening, I, I, I have deep respect for him because <laughs> this went on. What happened basically went on for years after this, and <laughs> and so yeah, he did take it in good to good. I think he was a bit probably because it was his first year. I think for, he could even his first term. So I think he was a bit like, oh my god, what are they doing to me? Um, <laughs> but but um, but then I think when he saw what was happening, because then what happened? I showed these pictures to some kids, and they thought it was fun and then we decided to start the blue chair movement which was a, a search for these blue chairs you see and uh, and this went on we made calendars um and we set up a sort of charitable website and uh, um yeah we raised lots of money we raised about eighty thousand pounds but you know i have to be honest and say that artem's father gave at least he gave ten thousand to trosby hospital's charity um because he said you know i want to i want to help um because artem got better which was good and uh, oh, yeah that is good yeah but i had i had um i had i had kids who then wanted to take the blue chairs you know kids being kids they want to get really involved <laughs> they were i had kids taking the blue chairs so they the, the, my favorite trip was two blue chairs went on the uh pamir highway i think it's called where you go around <laughs> Tur turkmenistan or yeah. Uzbekistan, all those sort of stands you know and um and they took these two blue chairs on their sort of gap year travels and they used to send me pictures back and we made this fantastic um calendar of the blue chairs in all these amazing places um and yes yeah, so each calendar used to make about six thousand pounds for the charities um and actually it coincides weirdly i had another cricket experience too because of this because um one of the charities we were raising money for was cure leukemia based out of birmingham children's hospital and uh, ashley giles the england cricketer um was donating 10 percent of his benefit to cure leukemia so we kind of ended up linking up well the the charity linked us up and and i ended up going to some amazing benefit ball that ashley giles and his team had, had organized and basically the entire england cricket team were there and uh so i was running around getting people like matthew hoggard and Triscothic to pick to pick up blue chairs and take pictures with them so we had, <laughs> we had a blue chair calendar that was full of um, cricketers holding blue chairs and um, getting Freddie Flintoff's autograph and things like that you know so um, yeah that, that actually um, that linking into another um, thing that you've probably got in your list of uh, things actually that that there's one experience that happened that made me laugh a lot which was um, Freddie Flintoff was just we had we were by the lady who was sort of she, I, I had to tell her who was who because she didn't know any of the England cricketers so I was, they were signing a bat which was going to be auctioned and uh <clears throat> so freddie flintoff came up and uh and she said who's that i said that's freddie flintoff and she went oh, okay and then she went are you giles? are you giles from rule the school i went yeah <laughs> and, <laughs> and rule the school was a very very average tv show that i'd been yeah. in um which was um a children's tv show and uh where teachers are being taught by children and but it just made me laugh so much that that um, she one didn't recognize one of she didn't re yeah, england's didn't greatest all-rounders yeah, <laughs> who some would argue single-handedly won the, the test the ashes, yeah. the ashes yeah. sorry yeah, yeah absolutely and when he t and he t was it at the oval or it was the lords wasn't it where he took the knee after bowling somebody out oh yeah 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 no well, well you know he went down to brett lee didn't he and, and just and, yeah. and comfortable because they lost i think australia lost that game by two runs or something and yeah. uh, and didn't he just say yeah i think he i think he understood the pain that um the aussies mm. would have been feeling at that point it was such a good game as well it was such a great yeah game. but but the, there was arguably a period of time where he he, he was just phenomenal yeah. just phenomenal. marcus rashford of his generation wasn't he oh <laughs> easily and, and some you, you know yeah, absolutely. I, I, there was a very yeah. famous ashes was it 2003 pops into no it can't be 2003 comes back here 2005 maybe 2005 but and he he just could argue it could be arguably said he he was the reason we won it you know yeah. he, he was so heroic it was almost the both him of his generation 
Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and but we've got a few of them now, haven't we? With um, Ben Stokes, and I was just watching Liam Liam, Liam uh, Livingston scoring a few runs in the twenty twenties the other day, and he's he's another name to watch. Yeah. So, I got to be honest. I I probably have lost touch with cricket massively in the last yeah. five or six years, and you, you need to get back in touch with your cricket side, David. <laughs> <laughs> Come and play for Shropshire Gent sometime. <laughs> I, I, I fear there would never be another invitation. but uh, <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but, you know, I, I could take up space on the field but, and people would question. Well, that's actually... all I do. Yeah. yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. If it's, if it's just to raise questions within the crowd of what, what's the purpose of that chap there, I would fill yeah. that spot very well. Yeah. <laughs> Is he there to contribute? Nobody knows. It's, it's the mystery of the game. You know. Well, I, I model myself on the great Mike Brearley. He was an England captain in the 1970s, I guess. And uh, he um, he used to sort of bat quite often, sort of seven or eight for England, and quite often didn't make any runs. But he was a great captain. So I, I like to see myself as a late order uh, batsman, yeah. a leader, uh, but, but a skillful captain. <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely, and and that's it. So, what is I just because I'm conscious of time is yeah. um, what what is Restart? So Restart Africa is um, another charity I've been involved with, and um, I mean one of the things about being involved, working at a school like Shrewsbury is that you meet lots of interesting people, and uh, um, and actually Restart Africa I I got, I got into through the ex headmaster a guy called Ted Mabent who um, and he had been headmaster of a school called Ellesmere College. And um, while he was there, he met um, some a very nice family called the Coulsons. And Mary Coulson um, had sent her, her boys to Ellesmere. And, uh, and, but she had saw the devastation um, and violence wreaked by the election uh, elections of 2008, I think it was, in, in Kenya. So this is quite a recent charity. And um, she was aware that there were kids just on the street. Because um, what had happened was a load of kids, and where she lives in Gilgil, sort of quite central Africa, central Kenya. And what happened during the election, election violence, and we're, we, you know, we're not talking about a few people because having a bit of a fight. Uh, we're talking about, you know, a thousand or so people killed. Um, and so families were moving towards Gilgil because there was a British army base there and they thought they might be safer near this army base but of course Gilgil's a very small area and Langalanga very small town and um and so there was nothing for them there was not enough food and I think some people just couldn't look after their kids and let them just say look off you go um or maybe some of them were orphans you know from the violence and there were kids literally lying around on the street corners and then they were and of course as soon as that happens they're very vulnerable to let's say the darker side of humanity and uh so Mary bought a house um, and she filled it with about eight street kids to start with. Um, and her charity basically went from there. And she now um, has developed it. And we have a, a British and a Kenyan trustee board. And I'm, I'm on the British one. And we raised money for it. And it's now, it looks like a, a mini prep school now. It looks like a little boarding school, basically. And originally it was it was for, for orphans. Um, and um, but now it's um, there are one or two kids now who who, who kids can go there for some respite um, if their family life is not difficult and their beginning is, is rather difficult rather and if they and we li- liaise with the Kenyan social services so it's becoming it's it's becoming less of an orphanage and perhaps even more of a kind of um, children's sanctuary if you like but there's 113 kids there at the moment um, starting from eight starting from eight yeah now we're 113 um, wow. and I mean. And, and it's some, there's some very powerful stories I could tell you. I mean, um, you know, I, I know a little boy called William there who, I mean, this is the, one of the perhaps the worst stories you can ever wish to hear. I don't know whether... No, please do. Well, it's going to bring everyone down, but I, I apologise. But basically, um, you know, this is the sort of violence that these some of these kids have been subjected to. And basically his his mother was living with a... Well, his parents were living together, but obviously but his father was drunk and abusive towards his mother and uh, she eventually left the father and went to live with her mother and managed to get a job and was looking after these four kids and doing her best and uh, and then this guy came home one night and 
or found out where she was living and, and he was so angry that she'd left him you know, this, this dishonor um mm. he came over and in front of the kids drunk he raped he raped um his wife and then chopped her head off in front of the children so um obviously the family lost both their parents at that moment you know they lost their father because he was going to be in prison for the rest of his life and they lost the mother for obvious reasons so mm. so and the grandmother couldn't look after them because she you know she didn't have a job she couldn't she couldn't um she didn't have money or or you know she was too old to look after the kids so where were they going to go so that's where restart stepped in and helped um take these kids on board and you know i've met william a few times now he he i did a I, you know I, I try and raise money and i'm i'm getting too old for for running around these days so i i did a i did a comedy night we tried to um I happen to I happen to have taught Nick Hancock, um, who used to do They Think It's All Over back in the yeah. day. Um, so Nick Nick's son has been at Shrewsbury, and Nick um, very kindly said he'd help out. And we did a comedy night called um, uh, Saturday Night Detention with Nick Hancock, and and we raised about seven seven thousand pounds for Restart doing that. So we we do a lot of fundraising, um, and uh, and that that was good. And and you know I go over there because I go over with my admissions hat on from Shrewsbury to. Um, to a prep school near Gilgil, where, if you like, you have this amazing prep school, which is just a beautiful little school in the middle of Kenya. And next door to it is one of the sort of most deprived areas, you know, very poor town with kids sort of looking at you as you drive through in your smart car, um, looking at these kids who literally have nothing. And um, and then you get to restart where, and, and one of the problems that restart has actually, funny enough, is is now is that the kids there are probably better looked after um, than one or two of the kids who are still living with their families in the local town because they literally have nothing. So, you know, um, I think one of the things we're looking at is how the how the restart can actually outreach, if you like, into the yeah. local community and help help people in the town. Because what you don't really want is the local town people resenting the orphans and the kids who are there because they've they're having a better deal than they are. Um, and it's, so it's, it's Sorry, I, yeah, I was sorry. just going to say, it, it is incredibly difficult, isn't it? And we forget when, when you live in the UK, you know, and, and we kind of touched on it before I started recording about the polarising views we have in this country. It's just what goes on in other countries. And on one hand, like you say, the, the work of Restart is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. But, na- but, mean, na- yeah. but now the, there's, you have to have an awareness of how it's affecting the, the local town who yeah. are also quite impoverished and not many of them are like well hang on a second <laughs> they're doing better than we are you know? yeah, yeah. And, it, so, and it's uh, not from a place of um being nasty or horrible it's it's no. just a lot of these people don't have anything absolutely and you know i mean i mean i, I love going to kenya and and um it's a wonderful country and, and i've met some lovely people and i, I mean I, to me the whole system is you know so wrong in the sense that you uh, just one little example um epitomizes the world in way and we're so lucky over here we don't realize yeah so, um, my daughter happens to be epileptic and uh, i was sitting in a taxi talking to this guy and and sometimes i end up with the same taxi driver for three or four days if i'm visiting various people and visiting various schools um and uh so i got to know joseph this taxi driver very well and his daughter was also epileptic and um the difference though was that you know he has to pay for the medicine for his daughter which is expensive i don't so, you know, I'm I'm in a well-paid job over here, and and uh, you know the National Health Service are looking after my daughter, who's who's got epilepsy, and, and have managed to get her the pill dosage absolutely perfect, so she hasn't had a seizure for two years or something. This guy, the taxi driver I was with, Joseph, he, uh, you know, he has to pay for his own daughter's epilepsy pills um, at quite considerable cost, and you know, the first time they went to the local hospital, they gave her the wrong pills. And uh, that made her significant, well, seriously ill. She ended up in hospital for a month. Um, and, you know, it's just, you just, I, I mean, I ended up giving him a massive tip. Yeah. Just, I felt so sorry. And I just felt, you know, this is not, this is not right, but this is just how it is, I guess. But, but, um, you know, uh, yeah, there's, there is a lot of poverty in Africa. And, in, and when you see these boats arriving at Dover and people sort of um, jumping up and down and saying, you know, oh, um, what are these people coming into this country for? You, if you know, if you haven't been across to these countries and understood what poverty is, um, then you know I'd, I'd, you're going to get people coming. You're going to get people coming because they 
they want a better life for their families and if we were in the same situation we would be doing the same and i know there is i know there's deprivation over here as well in this country i'm i'm also linked, you know shrewsbury school's linked to a a, um, a west uh, a, a youth club in west everton called the shoesy and i know um a lot of the kids there have, have come from you know quite humble beginnings let's just say that and, and have their own sort of issues um but it's but i still think that you know the poverty in africa is 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 uh i, th I think one of the worst. issues one of the big issues we have sorry i didn't mean to cut you off yeah. but, but I, I think one of the big issues we have with when immigration comes into this country is one there's a lot of irresponsibility on all sides of the media um yeah and and that is and and we have to also be honest when um people start talking about well it's economic migration it is but people don't really understand what economic migration is because of you know yeah. and it's because of immense poverty in another country and i think because i i know people that have worked with uh, with refugees and stuff like that we don't do a very good job of promoting those that come into the communities take the opportunities and establish themselves really really well yeah and we do a very poor job of not because of the various justice systems we have in this country we do a very poor job of saying to people that's not acceptable in our country and you don't do it and if you do it again you're going back to where you come from and we don't do a good job of that what we do is a good job of highlighting these people just abusing a system and then we label that that one person as an entire community all right. all immigration is this no 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 that's an individual who should have been dealt with in a particular way. And that's where we need to change our system. Because there is a group of people over here who came over, risked their lives, and are doing amazing in our country because of all of the benefits we have, because of all of the things that we can do. And they are taking those opportunities. Everything from education to apprenticeships, to working, uh, to establishing good family connections. And they're, they're a benefit to any community they come into. But we like because of the clickbaiting and stuff like that to talk about the one person. Yeah. And then we we call them an immigrant. Oh, yeah, yeah. a second. And they'll say immigrant there and refugee here. Do you know what I mean? And and I and I I, I just think the the media um just do a terrible job in this country of you know, for want of a better term, sorting out the week from the chaff and actually hang on a second, that there's some great things going on that we do do. And we have an opportunity as a country to do these good things. And I also think as well that while we are doing some of these things, we need to go to where the source of the problem is and see actually how we can help these countries at source and not keep ostracising people who are risking their lives to try and get over here. I'm sorry about my dog. Which no, don't apologise. If I'd have known you'd had a dog, that would have been my first <laughs> question before cricket. So, well, She's a rescue. She's a refugee. She comes from... Amina, shush! <laughs> she comes from, um, she comes from, uh, she comes from um, Romania. Oh, fantastic! Uh, and there's a rescue dog, so she's a bit nervous. If anyone, she, she's probably heard someone walking past on the, on the pavement outside. Okay, but um, but no, absolutely, I, I totally agree with you about the um, the press because um, unfortunately they're looking for stories that sell newspapers, which definitely aren't always um, constructive. Yeah, and uh, and also they just want. You know, you, you, I mean, I was looking at some of the tabloid newspaper headlines yesterday, and they were, they were just, they were just extreme things going on, just to just try and get people to read, so making things sound more exciting than they are, and yeah. and um, yeah, it's all rather, all rather depressing, really. It um, is. But I think, yeah, I mean, I I also have a, I help out with a local refugee club actually, and um, we got some Syrian refugees in the town, and and uh, and they're just lovely, lovely kids. Uh, the kids I work, we we, we go some of the kids from the school and I, we go and help just, we, well, we're part of a youth group on a Monday evening and uh, just go down and have a chat and a laugh. And uh, honestly, there's just some, there's some great kids there. Um, and they're just normal kids. And of course, if you could get past the sort of, where do they come from, where, all that sort of stuff. But these these kids, you know, and of course their trouble is they're quite a long way behind educationally sometimes because they've been in a, in a you know, a refugee camp for six years and your education weirdly might suffer if that happens. So, you yeah. know, they come into they come into the system here and they are going to be behind but they're that they're ambitious and they're intelligent and they are they're going to do well these kids and um they just need a chance you know and i think um but it takes they're a bit shy they've come to a different culture a different country and 
you know sometimes it, you need to sort of just help build their confidence up and um and every time they get a bit of abuse or hatred you know obviously pushes them back a few steps so you you want as many people to be as uh, supportive and positive as possible and then actually embrace them and, and bring them into the society that they're going to be part of because i I'm, I'm a massive i mean a massive believer in uh, rehabilitation in terms of society and 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 you know and, uh, i mean uh, there's another charity i enjoyed I've, i went to see when i was in kenya went to see a prison went to a committee maximum security prison because um i got vaguely involved with a, another charity called um justice defenders where um there's a guy a really impressive guy called alexander mclean who's who started it and what they do is they they uh, educate prisoners uh and give them law degrees so that they can represent themselves because in kenya and places like it many many of the prisons in prison can't um afford a lawyer so a lot of people are in prison for the wrong reasons you know i mean we're, yeah. we're talking there, there are people in kenya there are women in prison in kenya because um the police couldn't find their husbands who were meant to have done something so they just arrested their wives instead that's that's something that happens sometimes yeah and and you know so if you can educate some of the prisoners and some of the prison staff to be lawyers then they can represent each other and themselves and um and what happens as well of course is these kids if guys if they do get out um they've got a ready-made job going for them because they are um uh you know they they're lawyers yeah. um and so far this this charity have got i think 17 lawyers they do the same course that nelson mandela did because that gives them a sort of i don't know an affinity with, with a great yeah. leader in the prince. and uh but what a great charity and i went in to see these prisoners and i was just so impressed by them so impressed and they were so friendly and so lovely you know um and as one guy said um a guy called philip and i said philip we must go for a beer when you get out and he said i'm not i'm not coming out he said that's why i'm doing this course um and you don't ask them what they've done no, <laughs> I, no. I said, don't ask anyone what they've done um but uh, you know I, i'm a big fan of the norwegian prison system where they they um they basically their whole process is about rehabilitation and they have these swanky cells and everyone's going what it's going to be a punishment look at he's got tv he's got this and i said yeah and and but the norwegian view is yes the the punishment is your lack of liberty we take away your liberty we take away your freedom you can't see your family you are you are locked up but uh it is all about making these people better citizens so that when they do come out of prison they don't reoffend. and in the the um sort of um uh, uh the reoffending rate in in norway is um 20 as opposed to america where it's 80 percent yeah. I'm sure there are all sorts of reasons for that, but basically, I think you know another thing we could get onto, but probably haven't got time. But is is the idea that um, uh, you know our our prisons are they are they really serving the people who are in there? Are they really helping people get back into society and becoming decent people that you'd like to live next door to? Because that might happen, you know. Yeah, absolutely. We want we want people who, when they come out of prison, if they move in next door, you know, they'll water your tomatoes when you go on holiday. <laughs> yeah no but that's, that's true that that is actually that is really really true and um and because I, I know you have a meeting in now 30 minutes so um that's probably a wonderful place to stop um but i would really love to have you back on because i i for all of my list you've just added another 10 things to talk about so, <laughs> yeah. so well, yeah you know, because there, there are other topics I wanted to get onto with you as well, yeah. like, you know, like barely grilled and, and things like that yeah. and, and yeah. the theology and the religion. And but also I think we've opened up a, a whole other conversation on rehabilitation of offenders, um, the yeah. prison system in Africa, um, refugees and, and what we could do better or differently. Um, well, 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 David, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I'd definitely love to come back and talk. I love talking, uh, as you can tell. Yeah. Um, but but, um, but what I would say is if any of you, anyone listening to this, wants to get involved with any of those charities um all they need to do probably is just google well what, what i'll do is i'll ask you to send me the links and i can put all the links okay, in the descriptions yeah. for when i put it up no so. absolutely i'll do that perfect giles i will be in touch very soon and um if you, if you send me the links th that is brilliant thank you so much for your time i really do appreciate no, it thank you very much david lovely to talk to you all.